It was the 1950s. A young woman named Nellie fell in love with a handsome Californian preacher named Tommy. The two met through Nellie's father, who was a hymn writer in the Church of Christ. Over time, Tom and Nellie developed quite a deep relationship that grew long distance while Tommy studied and preached across the country. One summer, while Tommy was visiting Nellie at her home in the quiet farming town of Dexter, New Mexico, the two decided to get married. Tommy had intended to propose to Nellie already, but their decision to get married that summer came faster than he planned. He had left the ring at home back in California. In a rush, he ran into the nearby city of Roswell to get rings from the local jeweler, my grandfather, Dixon. With those rings, they wed and lived happily ever after. Fast forward some 60 years in the future. The location, Lubbock, Texas. I was in college and I fell in love with a beautiful woman named Devon. Our love grew and we were getting more serious about making a life together forever. One afternoon, she invited me to a lunch with her nanny. Nanny was a widow, having lost her husband a few years before I met her. Nanny had been dealing with health issues of her own as well, and even had to have her wedding rings cut off her hand in order to have an emergency procedure. Upon learning of my family's history in jewelry, Nanny showed me her now mangled and cut rings. She proceeded to tell me a story about her late husband Tommy running into town to get those rings from a local jeweler in New Mexico. Yes, Nanny Nelly, now my grandmother-in-law, got her wedding ring from my grandfather Dixon all those years ago. I had the pleasure of getting those rings fixed for her some 60 years later. Nellie's life is nothing short of incredible, and this is just one of many amazing stories she shared with me over the years. Even recently, her stories of growing up in Dexter, New Mexico, just south of Roswell, astound me. Then one day, very recently, while my family was having lunch with her at her home in West Texas, she told me another story I couldn't believe. But I've been curious to know how large that uh, machine was that landed and yeah. uh, who who picked it up and did it crash to where it was into pieces or did, how did it get off of the ant? Uh, those are unanswered questions for me. If something really did land there, Somebody knows something about how it got away. Hmm. Yeah. You see, Nellie had a front row seat to the events in Roswell during the UFO crash. She also got to hear the first-hand gossip of the town as those events unfolded. And little did I know, the story she told me at lunch that day would leave a trail of breadcrumbs that brought me back to John's story. My name is Kyle Bullock, and this is Crashed in Roswell survivors in a misunderstood city. Before we get to the episode, I want to tell you about our sponsors, Spaceport Roswell. Spaceport Roswell is an incredible virtual reality experience attraction that's opening here in downtown Roswell this summer. You do not want to miss this incredible experience. You'll put on VR head goggles, you will look into their incredible world that tells the story of what happened in the desert in 1947. Let's just say that their story of what happened in Roswell back then has a few more um, sci-fi elements in it. But let me tell you, it is an absolute joy and it's incredible to watch. Suspenseful, exciting, interesting. You're going to love what they have to offer. 
To book your experience and to see when tickets go on sale, go to SpacePortRoswellNM.com. SpacePortRoswellNM.com to check them out. Make sure you also go to CrashedInRoswell.com and check out our merchandise store where you can buy t-shirts, tank tops, mugs, you name it. And in fact, because I'm a jeweler, I have created five limited edition charm keychain tags especially for our UFO past. You can go to our Facebook page or our Twitter page to check out those charms. We only have five available, and the first come, first serve. I'm only making these five. Now, on to the episode. I was cramming my face with another divine bit of Chick-fil-A when Nellie brought up this podcast. We chatted for a bit about it. Then she started telling me stories about what it was like living in Dexter at the time of the UFO crash. I thought it was interesting. Then she told me a story about her friend Sue and her father, a county commissioner at the time, who was friends with the sheriff who saw the wreckage and how there were government officials who came and threatened people. And, well, I shoved the rest of my chicken in my mouth, took out my recorder and got her permission to record this. It was too good, too incredible to not share with you. So let me me back up real quick. So you had heard Okay, you had just told me a story. So this guy from Artesia was out there. And he was with somebody, he, not his wife, having right. an afternoon. <laughs> and that uh, and that was published in the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. And I read it one Sunday morning and it really shocked me because he was saying on his deathbed that he was out there and they, when it crashed and they walked over and saw two strange-looking human beings in inside they were dead this is what they saw in the debris and they so, didn't and they didn't say anything to anybody no about that because no. obviously it would have been risque <laughs> damaging yeah because he said he couldn't go to his deathbed without the telling that letting that be known so but i do recall no one that i knew knew it, believed it was a weather balloon, but they did believe it was a military secret mission. Mm, really? From the beginning, nobody nobody around you really thought that? No, they kind of laughed at it. Really? When do you remember when uh, people first like made it a big deal? Was, was it always as infamous as it is now? No, I think the best I can remember is kind of like what it is now. Somebody... Some people thought that it was a, a valid uh, investigation to, to try to check into it, and others thought it was just, you know, they just wrote it off. But I, I remember thinking, I didn't see how they could write it off. Okay, so already we have an illicit affair, a UFO crash, and a government cover-up. And we aren't even two minutes into the interview. You can see why I started recording. What do you think it was? I mean, or do you even have an opinion about what it was? You know, I really don't know, Kyle. I, um, the most logical thing to me was the military experiment of some kind. Well, it's definitely interesting, and it seems like there are fewer and fewer people out there that have any kind of firsthand account to to what happened. Do you, so in a general question, do you think stories like Roswell has built distrust that people, people feel like they were lied to by the government? Do you think that that 
built like a, a nature of distrust towards the government that even if we found out what it actually was, would we actually believe? Would we actually believe the government if they even told us the truth? I I, I don't know because I don't think a lot of people believe in government today. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that they believe the government's hiding a lot of things from us and. Uh, did you feel that way when you were younger? I mean, for, when you lived in Dexter in the 40s and 50s, did you, did, no, there was no. more of a trust of your government? Yeah. yeah. There, there, there seemed to me to be, the government was reliable and, and what they did, you know, had legitimacy and everything. And I, I just continued to believe that the government was experimenting with something and I don't know how other thing to, I don't think it could be written off. Something did land there. Yeah, oh yeah, something happened. And uh, I don't think that it can be just washed away. Let me pause for a second. It's important to understand that our perspective of the events are viewed through a lens very different than the lens Nellie uses. We've had years of mistrust, conspiracy, and lies from the government. My generation, the millennial generation, generally doesn't believe a word that comes from a politician's mouth. But for Nellie, back then, things were different. Her world was not shaped by media or issues that we get blasted with today. They lived with deeply ingrained American values, and in order to survive a worldwide conflict, they had to trust their leadership. It's a foreign concept today, but we have to understand that in order to grasp the rest of the story. One of the reasons these stories and these rumors weren't blowing the world apart back then was simply because the people trusted their government. People had faith in their government. What a strange concept, isn't it? Did you hear stories about people who were sworn to secrecy by the government about that kind of stuff? You were telling me a, sto a story a few minutes ago about that where somebody was told not to say anything about what they saw or or they were told this is the story that you're supposed to say. It's a weather balloon. Had you heard reports of that from people? You were telling him about Sue's dad? Yeah. Sue's dad was told not to say anything about what he knew? That the sheriff was sworn to secrecy. Oh, the sheriff was sworn to secrecy. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't tell Cecil anything. How did Cecil know him? Was he a friend? Oh, Cecil yeah. He was county commissioner. Oh, Cecil he was county commissioner. Was county commissioner. He knew everybody. Cecil was well known in the community and all around the. Cecil Johnson? Uh huh. Mm -hmm. and, um, um, and then we heard also that FBI visited the family that owns that ranch and, and uh, ha harassed them. Really? We heard that. I don't know how true it is, but we heard that and we heard that, you know, disturbed the daughter so much that she had mental problems but i don't know how true that is but that's what we've heard wow there is a lot packed into that bit of interview but let's recap the timeline for just a second cecil johnson a county commissioner for chavez county where roswell is located is good friends with sheriff wilcox one day wilcox gets a call about some debris on a ranch he checks it out knows it's something bigger than he should handle, and reports what he sees to higher-ups. That means he saw something that spooked him or caused him to reconsider his approach. Think for a second. If it was just a weather balloon, 
Wouldn't that seem pretty unremarkable, scattered across the desert? What did the sheriff see there that made him kick the issue higher up? Then, after the Air Force collects the debris, Wilcox is apparently sworn to secrecy. He doesn't even tell his friend, a county commissioner, whom he works underneath what it was. These guys trusted each other, and they worked side by side. Isn't that strange to you? By the way, Nellie called me after this interview and told me that Sue, the county commissioner's daughter, corrected her that the sheriff did eventually tell her father what he saw. But let's put a pin on that. Keep listening to Nellie. So, okay, so you had started with talking about the nurse. So to back up, the guy, when they when they recovered whatever debris from the crash site, you said that there were, that was it Ballard's had an ambulance service that basically took the bodies then to the base? Is that right? I don't know how the bodies got from the branch to the uh, base, but Ballard's was, I, I'm assuming that because they right. I heard that Ballard's was in charge of the bodies and that the nurses drew pictures uh, of what was the bodies looked like, and that's where we get the picture of the extraterrestrial beings. So there, were, there would have been a nurse at the base that would have taken in what mm-hmm. whatever came in, and that's... Yeah. And that's I, nev- I had not ever heard that one nurse was missing, but Aline Butts told me when I called and talked to her, but she got so so a nur- nurse was missing she said she remembered hearing one nurse was missing and they never found her That's spooky well so interesting you could call Aline and talk to her she might be interesting that's true i mean even just the idea that there were of course these probably women at the base these nurse nurses at the base who <laughs> had a front row seat but were also women Right, and so yeah, if a woman, if a woman, even consider them valuable enough to tell them to be quiet. Well, even because even the the hierarchy of military back then was just that, like you know, the men the men in charge of running that operation, these women probably were ignored enough where they saw they probably saw a lot that nobody else saw, Mm -hmm. and then once they figured out that these women had seen something, they probably would have gone to them and said, "Hey, you better not." Share that with anybody. Nurses at the base saw bodies that took them by surprise. Bodies that were supposedly recovered from the crash. Nurses. That made me perk up. I knew a nurse in this story. John's mother. Was John's mother one of the ones that drew an image of what she saw? Did she keep record of those images and information from the event? And is this what John is hiding? According to Nellie's friend Sue, The sheriff later confirmed the rumor of bodies with his own account. He eventually confided to his friend, the county commissioner, that when he went to the wreckage, he saw bodies out there. Strange bodies, unlike anything he had seen before and had a hard time even describing. All of this makes me wonder how a generation of people were willing to hear from their government a sketchy story of a weather balloon, a story full of plot holes, and leave that story unchallenged for decades. Today, we question everything a politician or government organization says, no matter how big or small the issue is. But for Nellie's generation, that wasn't the case. She may be among the last generation that trusted her government to have her best interests in mind. That isn't to say they always did, 
It is to say that generation had a very different perspective of events in their world. Perspective. It seems like something we are desperately missing in our world these days. Perspective gives us the ability to see something from someone else's position. Perspective doesn't necessarily make you right or even wrong on an issue. It just changes your view on an issue, shifting it enough for you to see it empathetically from another person's view. For example, how can white people better respond to black voices in this country? We first listen to their perspective, a people who have for generations experienced a large amount of pain and a very suppressed level of opportunity compared to white people. And how can employers better equip and serve their employees? Well, by first actively listening to their perspective of their needs and their work conditions, no matter how much it hurts or disagrees with the leadership. And how can adults better understand the conflicts of young people today? We listen to their perspective as they navigate a world in conflict full of rage. And perspective helps us understand truth because for truth to hold up, it must be tempered by a myriad of perspectives. Why am I going on about perspective? Because to understand whether what John said was true or not, we need to see it from his perspective. It requires us to venture into uncharted territory, to humble ourselves and to listen to his story with fresh, open ears. Nellie gave us a glimpse at what his perspective might look like. A small town kid growing up in the shadow of monumental history, caught in a conspiracy and fed a steady stream of lies and conflict from people they trusted. With a healthy dose of perspective, we can begin to empathize with John and that generation in Roswell. But like I said, perspective doesn't make someone right or wrong. His story still needs to be tempered with truth. It wasn't enough for me to hear small town gossip and take John at his word. I needed to bring in the big guns, three experts who will help separate fact from fiction and better understand the nature of truth on a deeper level. On the next episode of Crashed in Roswell, I sit down with these three experts and dig into John's story to uncover lies, truths, and leave you questioning everything you thought you knew about this story and the Roswell incident. Crashed in Roswell is produced, narrated, and written by me, Kyle Bullock. The theme song is by Brian Hunley. Additional music by Scott Buckley. Special thanks to David Langford and Ryan Bishop for their help creating this podcast. You can support all of these people and so many more who have helped make this a success by going to crashedinroswell.com where you can check out our latest blog postings as well as buy merchandise from our store where all of the proceeds go to helping get this podcast to more ears all across the world. That's crashedinroswell.com. You can also find us on Facebook or on Twitter at crashedinroswell, crashed the letter in Roswell. Well, you will see updates to the show, information about each episode, and you'll see some extra content that you would not see other places. You can also find out more about me by going to kylerbullock.com. <laughs>